the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is is Love. too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 281 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host Matt Negley. The time of recording is 11.14am on February 13th, 2022. Happy Super Bowl Day. Happy day before Valentine's Day. Happy day in general because the trailer for Jordan Peele's Nope just dropped. We're going to be talking about that on today's episode along with other trailers. We're going to be talking about uh, the cool down, if you will, from the Oscar nominations. Obviously we had our instant reactions to that plus an episode of the evening of and there was a lot to digest in those oscar nominations but now that a couple of days have gone by now our heads are cooler we've calmed down a little bit and hopefully now we can provide some glorious insight into what is going to go down at the 94th academy awards we'll of course go over the polls answer some fan questions here to help me do all of this i have amy smith hello everyone dan bear good morning josh parham Hello, hello. Cody Derricks. Hiya. And joining us as a guest from the film experience, we have Nathaniel Rogers. Hey, hey, everyone. Hey, welcome back to the show. Good to hear from you. How are things over there right now? Are you getting a lot of snow as I am? I am sitting staring at it right now with a cat in my lap. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nathaniel, what we usually do to kind of set the tone of an episode here is we usually start off with what we've been watching at home the past week or in the theaters if you went to any screenings or anything like that so we're gonna go around we'll start off with amy smith first amy what did you catch up with this week i had a bit of a chaotic week i've only seen one new release this week which was nightmare alley because it finally came to cinemas in the uk and wow i think i'm higher on this than most people i thought this was stunning it does yes lie. It does lag in the second half, I feel, just because we're such a jump in sort of style and narrative when we get the two-year sort of jump in between a story. But God, this is such a sexy movie. And I'm not just meaning Bradley Cooper because everyone knows how much I love him. But um, <laughs> I I don't know. I would actually rank this fourth or fifth for best picture. I'm, I'm not kidding. I wow. love this movie. Um, I've also caught up with a big sick uh, yesterday because part of my university course is getting me to watch a lot of comedy dramas and rom-coms and also the perfect time to watch a movie like this on valentine's weekend um the fact that this is a real story just really helped me connect to the characters as well especially since camille nanjani plays himself and he's so charismatic you can't help but fall in love with these two characters so i'm glad i got to check that out um Otherwise, it's just been a bunch of rewatches for me. I caught up with Encanto again for a second time. And this time, I actually fell in love with Dos Arguitas as a song. I actually think it might be the strongest song in that selection. And I can see why Disney chose it originally for best original song. And I also rewatched one of my favorite films of all time, which is Silver Linings Playbook. Um, 
10 years since that film came out, which I can't quite believe, but that film just means so, so much to me. So I was happy to sort of have a more, not relaxed week of film watching, but watching stuff that kind of just made me happy and have a good week overall. All right. Great. Love to hear it. That's awesome. Nathaniel, what about yourself? Um, I also rewatched Encanto. Um, liked it more the second time. I liked it to begin with. Um, but I still think the best songs are Surface Pressure and and uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Um, and I watched a nominee from 1957, which I'd never seen, um, The Devil Strikes at Night, which is a German serial killer movie, which was nominated for Best in Foreign Film back then. Oh, wow. How was that? It was actually uh, quite good, like noirish, you know, um, and also very sort of negative about Nazi Germany. It took place during World War II. Well, we're always for something that's against Nazi Germany. Am I right? So. <laughs> <laughs> and then other than that, I've just been watching that uh, Kate uh, Blanchett Goya video on loop where um, she <laughs> a wonderful uh, Penelope Cruises. Yeah, that was very, very lovely. You're right about that. All right, Josh Parham, what about you? Yeah, so this week I caught up with uh, a few newer releases and then one older film that was a big blind spot for me. Uh, for the newer ones, I saw I saw Blacklight, which is the new <laughs> Liam Neeson disposable action movie. And this might be I, – well, I, I can't say for sure because I haven't really seen that many of the other ones. But this is a really, really lazy effort from him. I really can't recommend it. It's very forgettable. It's what you would expect, and I kind of hope this sort of subgenre for him comes to an end because it's getting very tiresome. I don't really know what the deal is at this point. Like, has he just simply settled into, like, this Steven Seagal mode where he's going to just keep making these movies and eventually they're going to just be B-level movies and nobody cares about straight-to-video sort of thing? Because it's just becoming so redundant at this point. I mean, I think they're sort of already there nearly. <laughs> I mean, Blacklight should be just straight to video at, at this point. I, I think they're headed in that direction, and it can't happen soon enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I also saw this movie called Here Before, which is a movie that stars Andrea Riseborough. And the basic premise is that she's this mom who recently lost her daughter, and she thinks the neighbor kid might be a reincarnated version of her. So, you know, very... uh. Uh, birth vibes from this movie. The, the film is just okay. Um, Andrea Riseborough is really good, as she always is. I liked her performance a lot, and there's some good tension in it, but it kind of falls apart at the end a little bit. It goes a little bit more overboard in some of its directorial choices. I didn't really care for that all that, that much, but Andrea Riseborough, really good, and I'm always interested in the performances that she gives. So if you do check it out at some point, 100% do it because of her. Yeah, I saw this movie a while ago. I can't I think it was at South by Southwest if I remember correctly. And it's like another example again of why Andrea Riseborough is like one of our best actresses working today but nobody seems to know it. Exactly. <laughs> Cuz she's always like working in these movies that no one sees. Uh yep, I don't think too many people are going to see this either <laughs> and and as I said, the movie is just like okay, but she is really good. I really did like her performance in it. Yeah. Uh, I also caught up with Kimmy. I saw that over the weekend. New Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, and you know what? Fun movie. Really enjoyed it. I 
this was another one, though, where I think the ending kind of lost me just a little bit. I don't think that the last, like, big set piece in it was all that successful. But just as, like, a fun, engaging thriller, I thought it was very, very well done. I had a good time with this one. I agree. It was a very taut thriller, super effective in what it was trying to do. I, I was most impressed that the screenplay was able to juggle so many different relevant themes and not have it get kind of, like, lost in its messaging. Um, and I think Zoe Kravitz was, you know, obviously the glue that just held the whole thing together emotionally. Yeah, and especially the screenplay working as well as it did, considering the writer of this movie, I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. So yep. <laughs> that may be the most surprising element for sure. But I would definitely recommend it. I, I had a good time with it. Uh, and then the last thing that I caught up with was something that i have been meaning to see and had never gotten to until just very, very recently – and I finally saw The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. <gasps> the best. Uh, yeah, that is a that's a masterpiece. Like, yeah. It really, it really yeah. is. And very few times have I seen a movie, like even older stuff, that is very well revered and immediately thought it was like deserving of all that praise. But that one, oh, yeah. Like, I, obviously, not much more I could say about it that other people <laughs> haven't. But, yeah, I finally crossed it off my list, and I'm rather obsessed with it. I, I certainly understand why people love that movie. Very, very nice. Love Yay. it. Cody Derricks. So I didn't see any uh, films from 2021, 2022 in the past week or so. You know, we did Sundance, and then I was traveling. So I got to take a nice little break from uh, the current state of things before I'm, you know, I will soon dive back in to cover the blind spots of the Oscar nominations I haven't seen, which are actually not many this year, which is nice. Um, the best thing I watched recently was I rewatched for the first time and only second time in a long time, uh, the piano, which I had a lovely, you know, Criterion 4K copy of now. And holy moly, that movie's good. <laughs> that movie is yeah. so <laughs> stunningly rich and i mean just maybe the best attention to, de to detail i've ever seen in a film uh i'm really happy that you know jane's back in the discussion now and this film is getting like because it you know clearly is a beloved film but I've, I've seen a lot more people talking about it lately and it absolutely deserves it it's a total masterpiece if you haven't seen it or even if you haven't seen it in a while definitely check it out also the 4k uh criterion collection that they just put out for it is absolutely jaw-dropping it's such a good transfer yeah it looks unbelievable all right and dan bear i watched finally um lunana a yak in the classroom oh which is good yeah it's good i i don't i you know there were other movies i would have voted over it in that category but it's yeah. it's not bad but like i'm not mad about it and if for for what it is, it's very good. It's an incredibly interesting story. And, you know, it, it's not anything we haven't seen before. Inspirational teacher dramas are a dime a dozen. But this is – it does make up for it in the uniqueness of its setting and its perspective, I think, the characters and life in general. But it, it's well done. Very well done for what it is. Um, it's funny because – um the uh, the good boss I think won like ten Goya awards last <laughs> night. I, I just find it very interesting that of all of the international films that could have gotten in there to knock out the consensus five, which this one did, it, it like it was this one, and it just makes me wonder sometimes like how does this happen? And all I can really throw it at the feet of is good campaigning. You know that that PR team they pushed that movie hard yeah. behind the scenes. Well, it well, also. I mean 
they had a head start too. Yeah. Yeah. Played at Palm Springs a year ago. And um, I predicted that one. I'm very proud about that prediction. Did you, did you uh, correctly predict that it would knock out a hero too? Um, No, I, I predicted it would knock out hand of God. Ah, gotcha. Wishful thinking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I recommend if you get a chance to see it, go for it. And then I also watched this weekend's pair of new release rom-coms, Marry Me and I Want You Back. Both of which I recommend. Marry Me is the more generic of the two, I think. It kind of has a timeless quality to it, which makes it seem like Jennifer Lopez genuinely could have made this at any point in her career almost exactly as it is. There wouldn't have to change even the script all that much, just a little bit for like social media purposes and how you know we have our phones with us all the time nowadays as opposed to we didn't in early 2000s but i the fact that i love that she's making this movie as a latina woman in her 50s it is so rare that we get someone like that headlining a movie these days and that's huge and it's good it is really delightful i didn't fully by her and Owen Wilson's chemistry, but I still liked watching them together because they are both individually so fun to watch. And it's very cute. It's very cute. I could easily see this as one of those movies that like whenever it shows up on basic cable, you'd stop and watch it. Cause Oh yeah, I liked that movie. I don't disagree. I very much enjoyed marry me in a way that, Honestly, I was not expecting. I was really thinking I was going to hate this movie, honestly. And maybe at another time, I might have. But I was in the right frame of mind for this. And it won me over. And I I, I think what, what did it was the fact that Owen Wilson was just very good at playing that yeah. nice, sweet, everyman type. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Lopez was playing a version of herself that I just found to be so captivating and you know because she is who she is and Mm -hmm. she is truly an icon and like you said dan still going this strong in her 50s um i i did buy like them together chemistry wise actually i thought they were very sweet and adorable together and this idea of like how they both come from different backgrounds and Mm -hmm. they're not really compatible i think that's kind of like you know the point of it all right but yeah it it was it it was sweet you know it was harmless um it's definitely (laughs) there were definitely some moments in it that made me roll my eyes due to how cheesy it was but i mean (laughs) i i was in i was in a very uncynical mood when i watched it so it's cotton candy, and every once in a while, you want some cotton candy. Yeah, exactly. I want you back, though. Yes. I was so impressed. I, I was shocked. not expecting that movie at all. <laughs> like, this is not the worst person in the world level status or the big sick for me, but, like, it's no. like a notch below. Number one, it is hilariously funny. Like, watch this with a crowd or group of people if you can because i can only imagine like what it must be like in a group of people with all the laughter i had to i watched it by myself at home and i was laughing quite a lot and within a crowd that's going to be even better but uh jenny slate and charlie day have incredible chemistry together 
They're like, you know, chef's kiss perfection. Scott Eastwood, surprisingly funny. And, of course, Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez is always great in everything, but she has moments here that had me on the floor laughing. And just very smart about adult relationships in a way that a lot of rom-coms weirdly aren't. You'd think that they'd have a better handle on like what it means to be an adult looking for love in the world. And they so rarely do in any like real hefty way and this one does and it's that quality that just takes it up a notch i think daniel howitt said in his review that he it has an emotional honesty to it that is really rare in the world of rom-coms and that for me like perfectly encapsulated my reaction to this yeah, I completely agree. Um, I was very happy to have caught up with this. I was texting uh, Nicole when I was watching because I was watching. I was watching on Prime Video, <laughs> and she'd already seen it. And I was like, essentially sending her like my favorite moments that were like making me laugh so hard. Like, um, Pete Davidson shows up at one point. And he has like a line reading where he's like, "Oh shit, her dad sucks," and then like <laughs> little things like that. Or there's a scene where Charlie Day has to like hide in a room, and he opens oh up the closet. God, and the closet is not a walk-in closet. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just like really, really genuinely laugh out loud, funny moments in this. Um, yeah. Very, very smartly written. Um, I was very impressed by this film in a way that, once again, completely surprised. I liked it more than Marry Me. You know, and like I said before, I would, I would put it just like a notch below some of the great uh, romantic comedies. But... I think this is a very, very solid one, and you can watch it either in the theaters or on Prime Video right now. Yeah, totally worth it. All right, and then I guess uh, for myself, um, you know, yes, the two rom-coms that we just mentioned, Marry Me and uh, I Want You Back. Um, I also saw The Sky is Everywhere, which is a new film from Josephine Decker, who previously uh, did Shirley and Madeline's Madeline, and she brings her... Very unique cinematic style to, like, the YA world with this. And it was a combination that did not work for me. I did not feel that she was a good match for this material. And I found her style to actually be more distracting than anything. It didn't really enhance my viewing experience. Um, so I was I was left pretty disappointed by that one overall. And I also, like mentioned before, saw Kimmy. Really enjoyed that. That's on HBO Max, so you can definitely check that one out. And uh, I'm still under embargo. I still have a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so I can't say anything about that at this time now. But other than that, uh, it was a pretty interesting week for rom-coms, uh, I guess for Valentine's Day all around. So if you do get a chance, head on over to the theater and check out The Worst Person in the World, now playing in limited release. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more Genuine Testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. 
Oi, bro. I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Let's talk about those Oscar nominations. Nathaniel, general thoughts. What were your feelings on the Oscar nominations? What did they do? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? How did you feel overall? I mean, I was thrilled that Power of the Dog led. Um, I really thought it was going to be Dune. I mean, I I think Power of the Dog is going to win, but I didn't expect it to lead the nominations. Um, so I was very happy about that. I was absolutely beyond thrilled about Worst Person in the World because I've been really obsessed with Joaquin Trier since 2006 (laughs) (laughs) when reprise uh came out um and so i'm just like so elated it was almost like hard to like be upset with anything because those two things were made me so happy um my my biggest uh, takeaway question though was like what happened to licorice pizza because it it seemed to be coming in so strong. Like I'm not mad about it only getting three nominations, but I really thought it was going to be more. So the interesting thing that like I was, you know, I I was looking at these nominations across the board even, and so many of them lined up with what our predictions were a few months ago versus what they were prior to the nominations. You know, licorice pizza getting in for, picture director and screenplay and nothing else right that was pretty much what we were all thinking before bradley cooper got that sag nomination uh and then all of a sudden you know it starts showing up uh in the editing conversation a bit more so we started playing around with our predictions for it and nope it just turned out to be what it was before all that same thing like with the best actress lineup i think for like the longest time of those five women were our predictions like a lot of people had gaga i remember at number six and Sure enough, that's what the Oscar lineup ended up being in the end. So I I did find it quite amusing how many of these lineups uh, were, you know, predating a lot of new, interesting uh, elements that were introduced later due to the SAG and BAFTA nominations. Yeah, Licorice Pizza and West Side Story almost like swapped places in terms of what they got versus what a lot of people were predicting, like right for nominations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, people were abandoning West Side Story in a big way. Which, you know, I didn't I didn't think it was going to tank at all. Um, But, yeah, I think people put too much stock in BAFTA and not just because of their new uh, jury system, but just in general. I agree. I've been saying now for a couple of days, BAFTA is not gospel and we shouldn't be looking at them to see what the Oscars are going to do. Exactly. They are still a strong precursor. Don't get me wrong. But. Last year, with their winners lining up almost 100% with the Oscar winners, that was, in my opinion, a bit of a fluke. And you can't expect the same thing to happen again this year. Like, people are saying, like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to go on to win BAFTA, then he'll go on to win the Oscar, just like Anthony Hopkins did last year. (laughs) You don't know that. Well, uh, also, the makeup of the fields is so different that 
you know, now, now that they have different systems, like it, it matters who you're up against yeah. when people are voting. Completely agree. Another thing, too, I wanted to ask, uh, Amy, um, I didn't really get a chance to hear your thoughts on the Oscar nominations uh, that much. I know you were on our live reaction video, but uh, <laughs> I think we were all reeling from some of those announcements uh, happening in the moment. So now that a couple of days have gone by, how are you feeling overall about the nominations? I'm overall really, really positive on this. Um, the best actress lineup is way better than I was expecting it to be. My two favorite films of the year in Dune and Drive My Car are Best Picture nominated, so I, I don't care that Don't Look Up is there as well. Like, the Denise snub still stinks, but now it's like, okay, part two. That was always a plan. I, <laughs> I, I've actually been able to make peace with the Denny snub, which kind of surprises me. I didn't think that I would be so okay with it, but I think part of that is because deep down, it's like, I know part two is coming. Yeah. And so there's this feeling of, well, now there's a big IOU, so there's almost like an expectation that they're going to get around to him maybe with part two if he knocks it out of the park. Yeah. So I'm holding out hope for that, I suppose. And I'm just so happy with the amount of international films that were sort of recognized outside of international films. Yeah. Parallel Lovers got two, Flea got three, Worst Person in the World in Screenplay, Drive My Car. It's, it goes to show the progress that we've made, and I hope that just continues on in years to come. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is like a good moment to to go over uh, predictions of the week, which is a reoccurring theme that we do here on the show. You know, a lot of us post nominations posted our Oscar predictions. Uh, we updated them in all categories except for the shorts. We're still working on those. So we'll have those up. Uh, no pun intended shortly. Uh, but Josh Parm. Was there an Oscar prediction that you made post-nominations that surprised you in terms of, you know, a change that you made? Um, I don't think anything quite surprising at this moment. It's more so things that not necessarily that I'm predicting at the moment, but are sort of circling in my mind as potential upsets. And I really started to think that given that Nightmare Alley kind of surprised us by getting that Best Picture nomination, I think that the three below the line categories it is nominated in are much now more competitive for it to possibly win. And I think that it feels really out in front now to me and like production design, but I honestly think cinematography and costume design are in play for that category now because it managed to get into that 10th spot. And even if it was ranked number 10, that means still it was ahead of many other movies for a nomination. So I think that there's more support for that film amongst the general academy now. Yeah, cinematography is one of the tighter races where I could see it going to pretty much almost all five of them, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but my prediction of the week, and this is a change that I made post-nominations, I think if Netflix plays their cards right, and I think if they really push this narrative hard over these next couple of weeks... I think Ari Wagner could become our first female cinematographer winner for The Power of the Dog. Oh, easily. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, she's my prediction currently for that category. Uh, Dan Fair, what about you? I think these nominations have created a perfect storm. They have set Jessica Chastain up perfectly to win, and if you think she and her team don't recognize that and aren't going to go in a full-out promotional campaign blitz uh you do not know how this town works that was my prediction as well <laughs> i actually want to look that up that's a stat that i want to try to find is i want to see how many 
uh, performances win when they have their uh, makeup also nominated. I mean, just in this category in recent years, we've had it happen for Renee Zellweger in Judy and Meryl Streep in The yeah. Iron Lady. Uh, the Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to look that up. I- I'm hoping maybe by next week I'll be able to get some numbers in for that one. And more than that, I think it's just the fact that being the Ricardos got zero nominations outside of acting. Right. You know, if we were all looking at Kidman as being the strongest in this category, the fact that the broader Academy didn't seem to like her movie that much, I think is telling. But here's the thing with that, though, because it was the actor's branch, it makes me wonder if that means she's going to win SAG. That could still happen. But then at that point, the path for Chastain is what? Critics' choice? I, I, I don't know. But even with SAG, like the SAG membership and the actors it's, branch of the yeah. Academy are very different groups. Oh, yeah. Yep. SAG is about 100,000 members now at this point, And some of them are TV weathermen and social media influencers. Hell, I could be a SAG member if I really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when the precursors are this broken up this year, what we usually yep. look to is probably BAFTA, but we cannot do that this year for this category. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it almost feels like last year all over again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Another <Exactly>. challenge. <laughs> Nathaniel, you love diving into the uh, actress uh, race, both supporting and lead. What do you make of uh, lead actress at this time? I mean, I, I'm mystified, just like everyone. It, it It feels like for the first time I can recall, even more than last year like a f- actual five-way race. I mean, last year was only a four-person race. <laughs> <Essentially>. <laughs> Sorry, Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could make a case for any of them. I do think people jumping ship from Nicole Kidman might not be smart because even though that film had no support outside of the actor's branch, the actor's branch is still the largest branch. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, it's not like, sorry to makeup artists, but it's not like getting a nomination in that one category signals. It's like the craft sensation of the year. Right. And you know, it could have had, you know, zero votes <laughs> anywhere else. Whereas being the Ricardos, you know, it was sixth for screenplay, for example. Sure. It could have been 11 for picture. Right. Um, although I think 11 for picture was Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, yeah, that's going to be one of those back and forth debates I think that we'll yeah. forever have. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Nicole Kidman's in a good position, but so is Jessica Chastain. I mean, I would be I would be personally thrilled for Jessica Chastain. Um, but then, you know, maybe Penelope Cruz. I, I would be a little shocked if Penelope Cruz went all the way, to be honest. I mean, there's def- the town definitely loves her, though. Yes, that is true. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, case in point. <laughs> Has there ever been a case, though, of somebody who got absolutely zero precursors since Marsha Gay Harden and winning? Uh, No, yeah. Winning, no. No, she's still, I think, the only precedent we have for that. Right, and that's even before, like, Critics' Choice was, was what it was. Right, right. Right, but, uh, yeah, also the landscape has changed so much, mm-hmm. though. Definitely. There's going to be a lot more, you know, this is the first time this has happened. Yeah, yeah. Ain't that you know, the it, truth. I mean, it just helps that parallel. I, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen. I think it's going to be, I'm I'm leaning, you know, Kidman or Chastain right now. But um, Parallel Mothers does, is, is really good timing right now to capitalize. Yeah. Mm. I personally want it to be Chastain because I would rather Chastain get her first and Kidman her second. For these performances, yes, I agree. Y- yes, exactly. <laughs> Like I, I like I like I want Nicole Kidman to get a second, but I don't think it needs to be for this. Um, in terms of the best actor race, I've heard a lot of people, and I don't understand where this is still coming from. So many people are still doubting Will Smith. 
to go all the way to win this thing. And I think it's because people were bored because this has been the early narrative since Telluride and it hasn't wavered since then. And King Richard has, in my opinion, literally not lost a step anywhere. It got SAG Ensemble. It got into every single category it needed to at the Oscars. I mean, I, I don't understand why people are jumping ship so much and trying to get on Benedict Cumberbatch or Andrew Garfield. It's I the was, same thing people did, you know, pre, right pre-nominations where everybody started panicking or moving beside story and bumping up licorice pizza. It's, you know, recency bias. It's I'm not seeing him win anything right away, but we always said he needs to just wait until the televised awards then he can win just that and get the Oscar just fine. For me, it was a BAFTA nomination that Will Smith managed to get in over someone like Andrew Garfield that solidified my position on his sort of winning because I was hesitant a little bit, but he should not have got that BAFTA nomination based on what we were predicting, and he still made it in. Yeah. I think this is an overreaction to the Academy's overreaction to the power of the dog. (laughs) Yeah. Um. 12 nominations for that movie like i'm sorry even its strongest defenders i don't think thought that it would get that many even on its best day and the fact that it basically got every nomination it could i think that's making people think that it has the strength to potentially do a sweep or a mini sweep and it could certainly happen but i would caution anyone predicting Benedict Cumberbatch over Will Smith that Will Smith is genuinely seen as overdue by this point. And while both of them are uh, fallen to that category of somewhat unlikable characters, Smith is Smith's character is far more charming at any rate than Benedict's is. Yeah. I mean, I, I still, I still feel like, I've seen no evidence to suggest that Will Smith is not going to win this award. Like, as we said, King Richard has done very well at the Oscars. I would say it's sort of maxed out the same way Mm -hmm. that Power of the Dog did. And in looking at the list, I also noticed that, you know, Power of the Dog is our only nominee in the Best Picture field this year that has nominations for directing, writing, acting, and editing. It's the only one that has all four of those. There's two other movies that have three out of the four. One is Belfast, and the other one is King Richard. Belfast not having the editing nomination, though, I think is really harmful for it. Whereas Mm -hmm. for King Richard, yeah, it doesn't have the directing nomination, but having the other three, including editing, I think shows a really big strength for that movie. And I I really don't think that is not a film that is worth just dismissing. Honestly, I think film Twitter kind of is dismissing of it because they don't really like it all that much, but... I always thought it would play better to the industry. And from what I can tell from these nominations, it certainly did. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, Cody, what is your uh, prediction that you made post nominations? So like Josh said, I didn't really do too much shifting around. It kind of just solidified things for me. For example, I have, you know, I also put Nightmare Alley in the lead in production design. I think best picture was the one thing you needed to get to make that, you know, formidable. And I bumped Belfast into my original screenplay top slot just based on um, the underperformance of Licorice Pizza and the way that Belfast, it probably is going to, they're probably going to give it one award. And I think that's probably his best shot. Um, I think the biggest thing though, the biggest arguable swing I'm taking is the way that Encanto performed plus it's 
current, you know, pop culture phenomenon status on TikTok and otherwise. I do think this could be Lynn's win in original song. I think it could actually happen this year. It's undoubtedly a three-way race between that, No Time to Die, and King Richard, but I think there's a good chance that voters might vote for Dosor Guita's just because it's not, we don't talk about Bruno, you know, like in absence, like almost voting in absentia. Mm-hmm. Um, so until, you know, we see some evidence otherwise, but it'll be kind of hard because this category doesn't have a ton of precursors left. I think there's, you know, there's critics choice and that's it. So it really will be based on, you know, kind of a lot of gut feeling and just uh, sensing how the room is going. I mean, if No Time to Die wins Critics' Choice, it's got Critics' Choice and the Golden Globe. That's really, sure. really tough for me to go up against at that point. If that happens, I probably will switch. But until then, if it goes to either Be Alive or Encanto, I probably might stick with my current prediction. Yeah, yeah. Amy, what about you? Yeah, my biggest one was Jessica Chastain, but I'm also kind of no guts, no glory right now. I'm currently predicting Troy Kotzer to win supporting actor as a way to sort of reward Coda. Um, I just, I, I know Cody Smith McPhee is like sweeping, but I just don't see his performance as an Oscar winning performance at his age. I, I don't know. I can't get past that. Totally and agree, I, Amy. I don't have Coda winning anywhere else so this would be a great way to sort of reward that film and he is so going to do the campaign he's going to be everywhere sort of putting his face out there and if apple tv are smart they will just plaster him everywhere on streaming platforms on marketing they've got that focus i'm not sure netflix does i'll I'll be honest with you i think sag is going to be the turning point there because he in my opinion needs one of two things to happen Either he beats Cody at SAG itself, which obviously that would be huge. The other thing is, if he doesn't beat Cody at SAG and say Cody Smith-McVie does win that category, if Cody still wins Ensemble and it gives him an opportunity to get up to the mic still, I think that that could still have a bit of an impact. I mean, very, very minuscule by that point. Because at that point, I think Cody then would go on to win Critics' Choice and probably BAFTA and he just sweeps the whole season. But, I mean, there's still a path for him. The funny thing is, um, he would be, you know, the second youngest winner in this category ever. Uh, Jane Campion directed Anna Paquin to an Oscar, and she's the second youngest winner in her category. So it's not (laughs) unheard of for Campion to do this. Yeah. That would be crazy. Nathaniel, was there any uh, switches in your predictions post-nominations? Well, I don't do uh, winner predictions before the nominations because I think that they're two different uh, things. But I didn't really switch anything except for that, I, except for what we've already discussed with in terms of like best actress, like before the nominations, I thought, oh, people are wrong about Kim and it's going to be Coleman. And I don't know why I just suddenly started doubting Coleman, even though Lost Daughter did well, did better. than I, I don't understand where the Coleman support is kind of coming from. It's almost baffling to me because I, I see a lot of people at Gold Derby. Uh, also putting Coleman forward. And I'm wondering if it's because um, she just has a habit of winning at these award shows and people just feel that she's going to pull that out again here. I I feel like the Oscars are much harder to win than a SAG award or something like that, you know? Yeah, I think it's just that she's like an actor's actor and it's like when in doubt, you know? Sure. Like, are are they ready to give... Kidman a second, you know, and or um, do they like Eyes of Tammy Faye enough to 
give Jessica the win. But, um, you know, I was going to, before the nominations, before the huge overperformance of Drive My Car, I was going to suggest that maybe it didn't have international film wrapped up, but that, that ship has sailed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I even, like... <laughs> I was looking up the just the stats in regards to um, best picture uh, or best director and uh, that relating to best international feature. And it's kind of a done deal. Like when you get one of those two nominations or both, uh, there's no way I, I just I, I would be shocked if Drive My Car uh, did not win international feature. But yet it's a best picture nominee. That's insane. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think the only precedent for that are, are when we only had five best pictures and, and both like Pan, Pan's Labyrinth and Amelie lost that Oscar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just eight, several but, nominations. But that was also a different voting system for yeah. the winners. Right, right, right. Yeah. I just want to say in relation to actress i'm somebody who has coleman in second place um behind kidman i think clearly they liked her movie the most of all the yeah contenders the nominees in this category you know maybe parallel mothers they liked as much but it's hard to tell and you know if you speak to overall academy support i would put the writer's branch well above makeup um in terms of you know broad voter support i just really don't I, you know, to your point, Matt, I don't really get where the Jessica Chastain prediction is coming from. She's my number three right now. And until she wins something, I just really have trouble seeing a performance from that film, as good as the performance is, winning an Oscar. I totally agree with you about the reasoning behind Coleman, Cody. I mean, I think that with Jesse Buckley getting in supporting actress, you could say that The Lost Daughter overperformed. Yeah, it's my number 11 guess for future. I Totally agree. And it is clearly the movie that they like best in that category. In the absence of any of them getting Best Picture nominees, that scored in the biggest categories. I don't think that it's still the kind of performance that the Academy usually goes for, especially in this category. But I definitely think she's still duking it out with Kidman and Chastain for the top spot. They're definitely the top three. And also, if anybody wants to say she was awarded too recently, literally Frances McDormand. Like, I know know that was a Best Picture winner, but I really don't think that argument holds water anymore. They love you. They love you and they Mm -hmm. don't care. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Hey Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. 
Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Uh, the only other thing that I would just mention is I kind of going back to King Richard. I, I don't know. There's something in me that says that might be actually maybe a bigger challenger to best picture than we think it is. I don't really see it doing it, but just considering that it did kind of max out and it got some pretty key nominations. And I look at some of the other precursors that it does have, like it is one of our SAG ensemble nominees. I think that's pretty significant too. So I, you know, like I said, I'm not predicting it to win much outside of Will Smith, but, you know, like I'm looking at the support that is there for it and I'm noticing it might be a bit stronger than even some of us might have anticipated. Yeah, I mean, okay. early in the season, we were a lot of us were predicting it to be a real contender in this category. I, I wrote an article for you know, saying as much yeah. about that in Belfast, like in October. And I think with the like this performance of its nomination day, I don't think it's unrealistic to say it's like number three right now that's where i have it personally yeah me i mean too. you you can make an argument that it is number two in every number one or number two in every single category for which it's nominated you can make an argument that's pretty big i still think the number two to power the dog is belfast despite the editing miss i agree yeah i think that too but i also just want to point out that king richard i think is still a formidable contender based on what it received. And speaking of the editing miss, that's probably the one thing that I'm going back and forth on the most. Not that uh, Belfast missing, like I was predicting Belfast to win or anything like that, no. But I am starting to wonder if Tick Tick Boom could pull a girl with a dragon tattoo and win that category for having the quote-unquote most editing Mm. And not and do it without a best picture nomination on top of that. It could. I mean, yeah, it is definitely the flashiest of the group. But yeah, not having the best picture nomination, only having one other nomination for Andrew Garfield. Like it's a big one. Don't get me wrong, but it does still show there's like not quite as widespread support for that movie. So it I don't know. It, to me, it would almost seem like if you had predicted like I, Tanya to win editing that year, you know? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Girl with Dragon Tattoo, you know, it had five nominations, so there yeah. was broader support, and it probably wasn't that far off from Best Picture. No, I agree. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I also think TikTok... Tick, I, I keep saying TikTok. TikTok Boom is a different movie. So I'm doing my... I'm contradicting myself, since I also think it was very close to Best Picture. Uh, but I think with King Richard, I, I don't want to put too much stock in the editing nomination because at the end of the day, it is still a sports movie. Yeah. So that would help that. So it's not the most editing, but it definitely has editing that's noticeable. Oh, I think that King Richard, as far as like a movie that's 140 minutes long, the pacing in it, I think, is fantastic. And I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if that is the challenger to Dune in that category. It is my number two right now. Yeah. I really would not count it out. Mm-hmm. For editing? Yeah. I, I, I'm i all in for uh, Power of the Dog. I'm not saying it's going to win, but I just, that editing to me is incredible. Interesting. It's like as tense as like a Hitchcock movie. Genuinely, if you look at, like, that seems more in line with the recent winners in Best Editing 
<laughs> I mean, if you look at last year's Sound of Metal, Power of the Dog fits right in there. True, true. And especially with the corresponding sound nomination, which I don't think anyone was <laughs> predicting it to get. Yeah. <laughs> it's the comb. I, it's the comb that did it. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. I do not think you're wrong. All right, well, let's head on over to the polls here uh, because our polls are related to the Oscar nominations. So last week's poll, uh, we asked everyone – well, actually, hold on. Before I get to last week's poll, uh, I think this is a lot of fun. We had asked the MVP film community uh, like two days before the Oscar nominations what they were predicting would be nominated for Best Picture. We got like 6,000 votes for this, which was pretty cool, and – they actually predicted nine of the ten. They had Drive My Car uh, in there. Uh, the movie they were uh, missing, though, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, instead uh, went to Nightmare Alley, which was way down on the list. I mean, like, number fi- number 15 on the list here, as far as how, how many people thought it was going to get into Best Picture. So... I, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about that Nightmare Alley uh, nomination and how it just got in barely by the skin of its teeth. And I got to give credit to Searchlight Pictures for running the campaign that they did for it. Plus, you know, residual love, I'm sure, for Guillermo, Post Shape of Water, had something to do with it. It being a late release and one of the last movies that people saw, I'm sure, also helped. And, uh, you know, below the line crafts people uh, went for it in the end. You know, Tick, Tick, Boom, we said all along. You know, getting in just for Andrew and picture at most of the major shows leading up to the Oscars, that was always a little, a little suspect, if you ask me. I'm just, I'm just happy it wasn't being the Ricardos in the end. (laughs) I really think Nightmare Alley, and I really like the movie too, it's my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie actually. I think it getting in is probably a product of voters, that thing we always hear, that disappointing, like, honest Oscar uh, interview thing where they're like, I couldn't come up with 10 movies. So they just kind of picked the movie that made the most sense. So these are, as voted by the MVP film community of the last week's poll, the top 10 biggest shockers from this year's Oscar nominations. At number 10... Drive My Car gets in for Best Picture, Best International Feature, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. I mean, I guess that is a little shocking, but I feel like there were a lot of people that were predicting that. Maybe not the the picture nomination, but I was seeing plenty for the other three. I predicted the picture nomination. and I mean, I did too. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, even I was like, yeah, this is a big swing. Like, I don't know, (laughs) but... You know, there was something about that trifecta win, New York, L.A., National Society, where I was just like, I really like I felt like that did mean something, considering that every other film that has gotten that has gotten in except for leaving Las Vegas, which surely at a year of 10, it would have made it. So, you know, whether that was number nine or number 10 on the list in the end, doesn't matter. It still made it. So, well, yeah. (laughs) And for me, it was also thinking that when we have a straight 10, I just feel like that is a scenario where all the directing nominees are in a best picture lineup. Like the, the sliding scale, I can understand how that might get left off, but if you are given 10 slots, it, I don't know. I just couldn't abandon that idea that we could have a director whose movie is not one of 10 best picture nominees. You know, just as a hypothetical, uh, do you think if we had the sliding scale this year, it would have been just the eight? That is hard to say. I think it would have 
maybe just barely gotten in, but as we know, it had a ton of passion, and that's what you really need in the nomination phase. So it could have squeaked in at nine, but if it had just been that eight, it wouldn't have shocked me either. Number nine on the list here, Being the Ricardos gets three acting nominations, but misses picture and screenplay. Screenplay, I think, is the bigger, weirder miss there. I know we've talked about the weird relationship the Academy has with Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. The fact that the actors like clearly liked this movie and gave, you know, three nominations to it, two of which I would argue are undeserving. (laughs) It really shows that like, you know, the biggest branch of the Academy liked the movie. Number eight, the French dispatch is completely shut out. That, yeah, that was very surprising to me. It's not surprising, but it also is. (laughs) Yeah, It's like one of those it is and it isn't. And yeah, you know what? And I think that is one of the reasons why I messed up with my score prediction when I, dropped uh, Parallel Mothers for it is because before that, I only had it getting nominated for production design. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense for a Wes Anderson movie. It doesn't seem like it would only get mm-hmm. one nomination in that category. And turns out, yeah, that intuition was correct. It didn't <laughs> get anything. <laughs> well, I mean, Alexander Desplat missing is kind of a big shock because he's one of their favorites. He's be- He'd become like their new John Williams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think when he didn't get nominated last year for The Midnight Sky, maybe that was the the moment where the branch was like, okay, maybe we don't have to do this every single time. <laughs> Number seven, Ruth Nega misses Best Supporting Actress for Passing. I honestly, that was more disappointing than yeah. surprising yeah. to yeah. me. I mean, er, early on in the season, those of us who saw it at Sundance were like, it'd be great if she could make it all the way. Probably yeah. not, but, you know, that'd be nice. And so, like we keep saying, you know, those, like, early predictions and instincts turned out to be weirdly prescient. I was rooting for her all year. I really wanted her to get into this. And I, I think the fact that I'm not pointing fingers necessarily, but I really think that Netflix threw more of their weight behind The Lost Daughter in getting that film, it's screenplay and acting nominations and passing was kind of, I, I feel cast aside. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, I mean, we always knew that it, because it just seemed like Ruth Nega was that movie's only play that it was yeah. going to be hard for that movie. But if what's funny is that Ruth Nega literally did the opposite of what she did for loving where <laughs> loving, she only showed up at the globes nowhere else and got the Oscar nomination and for passing, she missed the globe, but showed up everywhere else and missed out at the Oscar lineup. <laughs> yeah. Number six. We talked about this one before. Nightmare Alley gets in for best picture. Yeah, pretty, pretty. I'm really happy about that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining at all. I think given time, I think that movie will have like a reappraisal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm very anti Nightmare Alley, so I have to be <laughs> the naysayer here. I thought it just didn't add anything that anything of note that you can't get in the original. I do think that the Martin Scorsese endorsement helped considerably. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> uh, number five, Spencer gets a single nomination, and it's for Kristen Stewart in Best Actress. Oh, that makes me so happy. So happy. I think that might have been the happiest I was all morning. (laughs) It was almost the happiest I was all morning. Yeah, which leads me into number four. The worst person in the world gets into screenplay. This is still the best nomination of the day, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so funny how we didn't get a lone screenplay nominee this year, but I guess this was technically the closest we came to something like that. Mm -hmm. And in a scenario where, listen... 
I wouldn't have minded if it was Pig. I wouldn't have minded if it was Mass. But I am so incredibly happy it was the worst person in the world. So, oh, yes. so happy. That it's nomination, so like, deserving. Has, it has immediately lifted the stock of that category. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, not that impressed with, the, with this lineup. But now it's like, you know four okay scripts and there's one very big outlier here as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I think I can confidently say this is like pretty much the next best picture team's overwhelming pick in this category personally. Yes. It is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. If I was an Oscar voter, I would be voting for it. Far and away. Mm-hmm. Number three. Oof. Judy Dench gets in over Katrina Balfe. <laughs> <laughs> The first category of the day, too. It's always the first category. I love your reaction, Josh, on the video where you're like, we're starting off strong. (laughs) Always do. (laughs) Nathaniel, what did you make of this? Because I have some theories behind why Dench got in over Balf, but I want to hear your take on this. Uh, My take is basically that people were overestimating Balf from the beginning. I mean, I felt it was very strange, honestly, when September and October where everybody's like, she's going to win. And I just never saw what, what the appeal for the Academy would be in her. Um, She's a TV star, but she has a very low profile for them. And then I just didn't really understand why everybody was so sure. Um, And then, you know, Dench is one of their top five all-time favorite actresses. Yeah. So in the end, they just defaulted. And she, and to be fair, she does get one of the best endings of the year is her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's my favorite performance of the film, so I was not sad about this at all. Number two, Lady Gaga misses Best Actress for House of Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> that sound you heard during the Best Actress nominations announcement was the sound of a million little monsters losing their goddamn minds. You know what is so funny to me about, I mean, it's not funny, but like, it's so weird to me about the Gaga thing is that everybody was so making fun of her all the time with how hard she was campaigning. God. And yet, I, you know, I love Jessica Chastain so much. It was not like she wasn't campaigning like that. She was exactly. (laughs) She was doing everything she could think of. I don't know if you guys saw that video of her showing her script and all the annotations and Mm -hmm. Like she was she was really into campaigning, too. I don't think the miss here has anything to do against her personally. That's why I don't consider it a snub. I really just think they didn't like House of Gucci, the movie, and she was a victim of that. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Like and this is another one where we walked out that movie and we I think for a lot of us, we thought, you know, it'll be in makeup. Maybe there's an acting contender here or there, but we don't think it'll be that broadly play because you know for some of us we didn't think it was that good of a movie but it the season seemed to suggest that there was more support for it and then at the end of the day just a makeup nomination which is where a lot of us were at initially when we saw that movie number one Denis Villeneuve misses best director for Dune yeah that was that was pretty shocking I'm still upset Mm-hmm. I love how before the nomination started, I was like, oh, Dune's probably not going to max out. It's going to miss somewhere. I yeah. just don't know where. <laughs> Matt, you spoke it into existence. I know, right? <laughs> like, I think a lot of us also confused about whether we were going in order of director surname or of a film. So we were like, wait, 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 what's missing? What's missing? When we saw Hamaguchi got in. 
well, yeah, I was so happy about Hamaguchi and was so ecstatic about that. Then the next name, I think, was Anderson. And that's when I was like, wait a minute. Well, or <laughs> I think they missed something here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anybody on the site had him lower than like four, I'd say, at best. I mean, like, he was my number two. And I just think mm-hmm. what's most shocking about it is like, clearly they like the movie. And this is the exact kind of like tech heavy, showy commander of the ship directing uh, achievement that best director lately has really been drawn to. I mean, I really think it's just a case of he, along with Jane Campion, um, Jane Campion's clearly number one in the category. That's why she's here. Yeah. But I do feel that like next to her, people thought, oh, he's safe. Like people are going to vote for him. I I, I want to vote for Hamaguchi. I want to vote for Paul Thomas Anderson. You know what I mean? I mean, even Spielberg, who was sort of on shaky ground. Mm. Never doubt Stevie. Never, yeah. ever, ever. I mean, one can argue that Steven Spielberg was not on shaky ground, but his movie was. And Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, when the movie yeah. is not performing that well, then, you know, if the yeah. ship is sinking, you know, and you're the captain of that ship, you can maybe go down with it. And I just think it just comes down to Steven Spielberg has obviously more friends in that branch. Um, you know, six decades the man's been nominated in at this point. And... I think Hamaguchi was the passion pick. Oh, clearly. Uh, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, also is just someone that is just so revered and respected. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brana, you know, I know a lot of people predicted that he was going to miss, but him being a previous uh, nominee in this category, I, even though it was so long ago, I'm sure I, I'm sure he also commands a certain level of likability and respect amongst that branch. Well, and the autobiographical Yeah, you thing. can't separate him from the movie is the other thing. Right. So if you're, because it, because it's all about him. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I think that gave him a leg up, but I really think the Villeneuve thing is more about the second they announced Dune part two. Like this idea of we'll get you on the next one sort of thing. I think he lost more ground than, than we, than anybody knew at the time. Sure. And now for this week's poll, uh, we kind of already answered this question, but we're asking everyone which Oscar nomination made you the happiest. Um, I've already said it was Kristen Stewart and Best Actress for me for Spencer. It's my number one favorite film of the year, my favorite performance of the year. And considering how much steam that movie lost, I mean, this movie couldn't even get nominated for costumes or for score, (laughs) yet she still made it in. Like, it felt like a miracle really had occurred uh, when that happened. So that's mine. Uh, Amy, what's yours? I'm going to piggyback on Kristen Stewart, but I also want to say Penelope Cruz is my second favorite leading actress performance of the year. So to see her get in, I was not predicting it. I was one of the people who was like, wait, we're predicting her when she couldn't even get long listed at BAFTA of all things. So to see her actually break in, that made me really happy as well. Just that entire best actress race, considering what it could have been, just makes me so happy. Nathaniel, what about you? Um, I've said it already, but worst person in the world in original screenplay, just a long time rooting for them. And it's so far and away the best screenplay in that category. Josh Parm. Always got to be all the nominations for drive my car, even though I predicted all of them, you know, some of them were with more confidence than others, but just to see it officially there in those categories, I'm just ecstatic about that. Cody Derricks. Uh, Summer of Soul is my favorite film of the year, so I'm really happy that it didn't fall victim to the like most popular documentary, I guess, The Finger on nomination morning. So that's probably my pick. Yeah. And Dan Bear. 
Worst person in the world. Best original screenplay, baby. I mean, if you watch the video, Dan's crying on camera. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, I am one of those people who cried at a fucking Oscar nomination. <laughs> that wasn't even yours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com, and cast a vote there for which Oscar nomination made you the happiest. And now what I want to do, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Got to talk about some trailers. I mean, it wouldn't be Super Bowl Sunday without some trailers, right? So... Let's dive in first with the newest one. Uh, this one came uh, earlier today from Jordan Peele. This is Nope, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Steven Yeun, coming out July 22nd, 2022 from Universal Pictures. Let's give some thoughts on this one. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. Yes, Queen, give us nothing. I'm <laughs> here for it. I, I really do like that this trailer does not give anything away. Like, it looks like it's an alien invasion movie, but at the same time, you really can't be sure with Jordan Peele. So I'm all in. I don't even really need to know much. Like, yes. he's just built up so much goodwill at this point, And, you know, he's really, I think, establishing himself, especially by staying in this uh, genre. Like, like our generations, like Alfred Hitchcock in a way, uh, to the point where I'm just like, I will, I will walk with you to the ends of the earth, sir. Like, I don't care what the movie is. I'm there opening day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's, I, this this little bit, that's all I needed. Like, honestly, I just needed to know this new Jordan Peele movie out. And that's really <laughs> the bare minimum I needed. Yeah. And I'm glad that this trailer kind of gave you the vibe of what it was going for, a little bit of what the premise might be, but nothing specific. And, like, that's it. I need to see nothing else. Like, if I saw nothing else but this teaser, I'm good for it. This is also going to be great for cinemas. Like, we talk about sort of blockbusters kind of dominating the cinema thing, but horror also does incredibly well. And putting a name like Jordan Peele and the cast that he has here, yeah, a lot of people are going to turn up to this day one, and I'm so... Also, the budget on this. He must have got a big budget to do something of this sort of scale. I'm so excited. Like, just give him all the money he needs. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because it looks like it's taking place on this small, isolated ranch. So it doesn't look like we're seeing like any kind of worldwide destruction on a, like a Roland Emmerich scale or something like that. So it makes me even more curious to know, Amy, where all of that uh, budget is going towards. That's all the footage they didn't show you in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. But I, the, what I was the most excited about is to see uh, Kiki like just be mm-hmm. her great self because I need to recover from Alice at Sundance. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. So terrible. And just her, like her physicality, she's such a great physical actress and the trailer just constantly is showing her moving, you know, dancing like that flying through the air against her will. Like it just looked like it's going to be fun. I agree. And I think that's why his movies are so popular to see with crowds is they're fun. I agree completely. He really knows how to craft a cinematic experience for sure. And also too reuniting with Daniel Kaluuya. Oscar winning Daniel Kaluuya. True. True that. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to hear someone say the title. Oh, well, when she was like, nah, nah, nah. I was like, oh, is she going to (laughs) say nope? Uh, And then she didn't. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that might be an alternative take or something, you know? (laughs) But yeah, I am very much looking forward to that moment in the theater where somebody says nope and the audience just erupts. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Any other thoughts? 
can't I'm wait. Just excited. I don't yeah. have much more to say. I haven't said anything because I don't have anything I need to say. I just I. I honestly probably wouldn't have watched the trailer if I wasn't going to be on the show just because I like Josh. I, mean, honestly I, don't, say, yeah. <laughs> I don't need anything else. Yeah, I'm good to go. All right. Great. Uh, let's jump over to another auteur filmmaker who's also delivering a thriller this year. This one comes from Alex Garland, who has previously done Ex Machina and Annihilation. His latest film is called Men, and it is starring Academy Award nominee Jesse Buckley. This is being released by A24 and is set to open on May 20th, 2022. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts. Truly the scariest title of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> also, again, yes, King, give us nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, once again, yeah, I agree. It. I this is my favorite kind of trailer: atmosphere, mood. Tell me who's in it. I don't really know what it's about still, and that's okay. I really thought that. I mean, granted, it's marketed the same way that most A twenty four trailers are marketed. Yeah. I mean, but 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 like Jordan Peele with Get Out and Us. Alex Garland with Ex Machina and Annihilation, I too will follow this man to the end of the earth. Yeah, he only gets better with each movie, just like Jordan Peele. I was going to make the same comparison, so I'm excited to see what he does with number three. I am too. I'm excited to see this movie. I do have to admit, though, that this trailer didn't get me quite as excited as the Nope trailer did, just because, as you said, Matt, it like A24 really does have a formula now with their like, horror or maybe not so much horror movies these days, and it's getting kind of recognizable, that pattern, and that was a little underwhelming, actually, with this trailer. I still want to see it. I'm still intrigued, uh, intrigued by whatever this premise might be and the people involved, but the trailer did sort of feel like almost parody of an A24 horror movie, but I'm still interested to seeing it, even if I think the marketing is getting a little pedestrian at this point. Well. Let me read this to you for a second, because this this actually after watching the teaser, I then saw the plot synopsis. And let me just read this to you, because I find this to be quite amusing. In the aftermath of a personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to have found a place to heal. But someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as a simmering dread becomes a fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears in Alex Garland's, you know, shape-shifting, feverish new horror film. Does this not just sound like the exact same plot as Resurrection? Oh, from Sundance? Yeah. I don't know. There's enough differences there that I'm, I I wouldn't have drawn the comparison until you said that. Yeah, well, when I read the plot, I, I didn't get it from watching the trailer, but when I saw the plot synopsis, I was like, oh, a woman with a dark past being stalked by someone, potentially. Those memories come ahead, uh, you know, from the past. It's just like... I don't know. I'm wondering if this is going to suffer from uh, those kinds of comparisons is all. Um, maybe. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. Hopefully one uh, difference it will have is that it will be a good movie. <laughs> I oh, hope for that. I was just going to say, thank you for saying that. I was just going to say, I, I don't think it would suffer in comparison to Resurrection. <laughs> I liked Resurrection. Me too. I'm running down that hole. I know a lot of people did. I'm, I seem to be in the minority, but I'm glad to be with you, Nathaniel, on that one. <laughs> I will say the poster for this is really cool uh, because did you guys see um, 
the underpass that she's standing under, it's like in the shape of a skull. And I saw someone on Reddit point that out. And I was like, oh, I didn't notice it until somebody had uh, pointed it out to me. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Less floating head posters, more floating skulls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted the, um, the I was just prepared to hand the sound mixing Oscar for the trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, all I needed from this trailer was, like, I got to see Academy Award nominee Jesse Buckley. Yeah. I, that made me so happy. Props to the team for dropping that trailer the day after the nomination I, as well. They knew what they were doing. Smart. Now, if only they could apply that smarts to actually getting their films Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now for our next trailer here. Uh, this is actually coming from Netflix, uh, set to arrive on the streaming platform on March 11th, 2022. This is called The Adam Project, and it is starring Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Gardner, Catherine Keener, Zoe Saldana, and Alex Bellari Jr. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. What's going on, honey? It's the third time you've been suspended for fighting. I know, you'd think I'd be better at it by now. I don't understand you. Dad would. I miss him too, you know. But son, you need to think about your future. Because it's coming. Sooner than you think. I heard from the test screenings and then also the a couple I'm actually kind of kicking myself. I was supposed to see this in New York this week. Um, I got invited to see it and the email got lost in my inbox. Um, and I'm kicking myself because the reception coming out of the screening was that it's good. Yeah, I, I could see that. I was also sort of struck by how this premise feels very like retro to me like it almost seems like something that would have been made in the 80s or like early 90s and i don't know that kind of intrigued me because it just seemed like that's the sort of kids movie that i'm sort of familiar with and so it, it pinged the kind of nostalgia part of my brain as sort of harkening back to those kinds of movies yeah it definitely has the like disney channel original kind of vibe yeah yeah but but retro because it's still like i agree with uh josh that it's like you know, it's like that old adventure, like father, son, white guys with daddy issues was very big in the 90s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it almost in a way reminds me of like when J.J. Abrams uh, did Super 8 and it was like practically a Steven Spielberg movie, uh, though it wasn't. I do wonder if this is going to like kind of harken back to uh, like lighter Steven Spielberg kind of, uh, you know, like that era that you're speaking of, you know? I'm not saying there's going to be like E.T. or anything like that, but, you know. It does have like E.T. vibes to it. I did think about that when I was watching the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really like Ryan Reynolds. I I really don't find him to be that appealing of an actor. He has, though, really capitalized on a big in a big way on what his shtick is. And he just leans into it now and gives like kind of the same performance in every movie ever since he's like, you know, like I said, really honed in on what it is that people like about him. Um, I just think it's kind of redundant at this point and very repetitive. Um, I like him in Deadpool uh, because I think that, that fits the character a lot. But I always get the sense that he's playing like a version of Deadpool in like every movie uh, since, you know, but then every now and then he does something like Buried, uh, which I thought he was quite good in. And so, you know, I mean, Free Guy wasn't that bad, was it? 
I loved it. I liked it. I thought that was so much fun. Yeah. I mean, and this is him and Sean Levy re- reuniting again, you know, same same star director pairing. So I, I was thinking that casting is almost too on the nose because it's like, it you know, movies that like flatter the audience and like what little boy watching wouldn't want to grow up to be Ryan Reynolds. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good point. And also like. I was just thinking about that TikTok trend. I don't know if you guys remember this from like a year ago where all the straight guys on TikTok were admitting that they were all sexually attracted to Ryan Reynolds. Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> I it missed was, that. Sorry, it was hilarious. It went on and on and on. Hundreds of people joining the chain about like, yep, all straight guys are attracted to Ryan Reynolds. It was very funny. I mean, if I'm going to see this movie for anything, it's probably for Mark Ruffalo, honestly. Yeah, the 13 going on 30 reunion with him and Jennifer Garner. There you go. There you go, Cody. Um, But the Ryan Reynolds, I mean, like, there really is something to your point, Nathaniel, about, like, men wanting to be and or be with him. I think he is really aspirational for a lot of people. You know, he's he's handsome. He is uh, charming. I don't know. But like he was literally built in a lab to be a movie star. Sure. And but a lot of, you know, it's literally the women want to be with him. Men want to be him kind of thing. And he is still able to like drag movies to box office success. I mean, like Free Guy is technically an original property, even if it feels like it's not. And I mean, most of the success of that movie, I would Pin on Ryan Reynolds. Uh, all right. And now, final trailer for this week Dominion. Jurassic World Dominion. Coming from Universal Pictures again. They're going to have a big summer uh, with both this and Nope. June 10th, 2022. This is the conclusion of the Jurassic era. Supposedly, air quotes. I don't know. We'll see how far that goes. Like, is it? (laughs) This is starring Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Get excited. (laughs) Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Give some thoughts. I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that we could see and touch. Creation is an act of sheer will. Life will find a way. So I'm going to say, I think that this is actually a really well done trailer. I completely agree. I think it is. The thing that holds me back, though, is that Colin Trevorrow is back directing. That is uh, a lot of demerits for me. I completely agree again. (laughs) I will give them credit for this trailer, at least. I think that this was well put together. It sold me on the kind of premise that they were going for. I think it looks decent. I am just nervous about the director choice, but, you know, we'll we'll see about that. So, you know, y'all were saying that the trailer for men seemed like a parody of an A24 trailer. Mm Mm-hmm. This one seemed like a parody of basic Hollywood nostalgic blockbuster trailer. Yeah, sure. I yeah, get that. I'm... Everything about it is generic. Even the visual effects look generic to poor in a lot of the shots. Well, I've never been a fan of the Jurassic World uh, visual effects. I really wish they would lean more heavily on practical effects and blending the two because that's what makes the first two uh, by Steven Spielberg so great uh, because those dinosaurs actually are real and look real and they, they were scarier because of it. I don't really ever get a sense of that with these new movies and I and I and I hated 
Fallen Kingdom, like, so much. I just can't get over that Bryce Dallas Howard can run faster <laughs> than the Lancaster, but Pratt can't outrun one on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm clearly not the target audience for this. I didn't even see the last one. I saw the first one, as we are all, you know, legally mandated to do as citizens of the United States. But I, I just am getting really, really tired of this nostalgia um, you know, do you remember your childhood kind of filmmaking? It just is so inherently unoriginal and it just relies on old, you know, just it, it, it is by nature non-creative. It is like repurposed, recycled, regurgitated. And I just I really think there's very little room for that in like the progression of art in general. Nostalgia is so poisonous in a way. And like, yes, it feels good, but like, you know, I don't know. So it is really unhealthy candy i don't know there's, there's just really nothing to this for me oh desperation for sure well it's the only way to make money nowadays which i in and that way i get it because like you know nothing original makes money anymore unfortunately in film so i understand why they would do this but too well i mean i think that man it's really tough right because on one hand you know i'm calling it out the same way that you're calling it out cody like i recognize it i see it and then on the other hand, it is the inclusion of those original three characters that is going to make me more excited to watch this one than the previous That's two. That's exactly what they want you to say. I know. Yeah, exactly. I know. Precisely the method. It sucks. Yeah, and the- I don't know. I mean, I, I had a similar reaction that way home where I was just like, I'm not charmed by this personally. Yeah. Call me like an old grandpa if you want, but yeah. No, there's something to be said for looking forward instead of looking back. And we should be doing that to push the medium forward and creating new stories, creating new stars. I do think it is a problem that is maybe contributing a little bit to what many people are calling the quote unquote death of cinema, you know? I mean, it's it's tough because like I hate to say it and I hate to like bring this up on like a movie podcast, but like this is what capitalism has gotten us. Like we are in a place where it is really expensive to go to the movies and people only want to spend that money to go to the theater if they feel they're going to get their money's worth. And the easiest way to convince them that they're going to get their money's worth is to have a big action spectacle featuring characters that they know. Yeah. I mean, to take it one step further, I think also the like constant looking backwards, not looking forward, just because a lot of people are just really unhappy right now <laughs> with the state of the world. Oh, well, yeah, so, yeah. Like, pandemic and, you know, incredible wealth disparagement, an unsteady future with climate change. Like, I know that's like big swings and we're talking about a fucking dinosaur <laughs> movie, I but know. I think it all kind of feeds into it. Nobody wants to like do anything but sit in the past because it's absolutely more comfortable and assured. No, it, that's true. And also, I, that's why horror is doing so well right now. Yeah. Cathartic, you can go in and be scared because everybody's scared um, about the world <laughs> and then come out alive. Well, this conversation definitely took a turn I was not expecting. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> three, go see it. Yeah, go enjoy. I'm sure there are plenty of people who will. I'm not one of them. I, I, I am optimistic because to Josh's uh, point earlier, the trailer is well-crafted. I'm intrigued by the post-apocalyptic snowy landscape uh, that these characters find themselves in. Uh, and that's kind of about it. <laughs> I, 
yeah, I mean, I will recognize that it's a decent trailer, but yeah, the other two movies I haven't really been that big of a fan of either. And yeah, I mean, I don't really just think that this franchise in general has been that consistent. So I, I don't have high hopes that this will be a good movie. I give them credit for making a decently cut trailer, but that's about <laughs> all the praise that I have right now. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that they can make a hero sting moment of, like, naming Sam Neill Nordern's characters in the trailer, but I could not tell you for the life of me Chris Pratt's character's name. Mm-hmm. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, it is a problem because you know what that means? When we get to a point where these actors from our childhood, they, you know, eventually will pass. Um, Chris Pratt will be in the position that they're in now. Is anyone going to care if they bring Chris Pratt in as that nostalgic character? I don't I don't think so. Nope. All right. Let's go to questions from the fans. Let's end this episode. See what everybody in the MVP film community had to ask us this week, starting off with a topic that I definitely want to talk about. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment, and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. Archie Marshall asks, who are your predictions for who will be the three Oscar hosts this year? So we received word that there's going to be a host per hour of the telecast. Uh, And assuming they want it to be a three hour telecast, it will be three hosts. I really don't know where to go with this because it's not going to be Whoopi Goldberg. Tell you that much. Nope. (laughs) No, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Billy Crystal could. I think he could be one of them. Or, or Steve Martin. Well, I think it's going to be – I think Billy or Steve is going to be one of them. I mean the question is, is, is it going to be three people that make sense together or is it just going to be the three biggest names they can grab? I've heard a rumor that they are three random people thrown together, that yeah. they are not tied by anything. That doesn't surprise me, which they used to do back in the day. So it's not like yeah. it's unusual yeah. for the Oscars. But any hopes that people have of it being the Spider-Men, uh, y- you can just like uh, let those go. That's no. not happening. I, no. no. I would love for – classic Hollywood to have some representation whether it's I mean it's the most obvious pairing but like I would love to have either or Jane Fonda and uh, Rita Moreno because both of them milked the hell out of their assignments at their at the most recent Oscars announcing the winner for best picture and they are classy dames who represent everything that is great about the Oscars, frankly. See, I think with Rita Moreno, I wouldn't like that as much because of how many categories West Side Story is nominated in. Yeah, but it takes it out of it for me because she herself is not nominated. Uh. Nathaniel, have you given us any thought? Um, Yeah, but only only in like comic ways. Like, what could I say that would be funny? Like, what would be hilarious that they'd never do? Yeah, like... <laughs> Harry, Ron, and Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I came up with, like, I would, 
I was like, let's just, you know, say fuck you to all the people who are like always wanting everything to be populist and only have the Dune directors hosted. Jodorowsky, Lynch, and Bill <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Can you just imagine, like, David Lynch as the Oscar host? <laughs> Wait, can you imagine if they got, like, Sting, Kyle MacLachlan, and Virginia Madsen? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we could do the three elves that got the Rings of Power, so that's Cape Blanchett. Um, <laughs> what's his face from The Matrix? And then yeah, some other guy. Weaving, yeah. Thank you. You weaving. I mean, obviously, I'm hoping that Maya Rudolph is one of the three. If we're gonna, oh, that would yes. be amazing. I've been wanting that for a while now. Her to host, yeah, that would be great. Ooh, David Mitchell Baker. With the way that the Academy has been diversifying its membership, and with this year's nominees subsequently producing a number of surprises, how soon do you think it will be until other award shows or bodies have little to no say as precursors for the Oscars? I mean, that didn't mean this year's were still freaking relevant. Um, see, we see, you know, the kind of the globalization of Oscars. Um, but I was looking back at old Oscars, and in the 60s and 70s, it was not uncommon to see foreign language films, international films in the best director and best screenplay races. Yeah. It happened almost every single year. Yep. Um, it wasn't until like the late 80s and 90s with the rise of, you know, like Miramax campaigning, I would argue, that that changed. But it's not anything new necessarily for the Academy, but I do think it will just continue increasing. I just don't think the precursors will not be relevant. I think we still have a while to go for that. I mean, precursors in general, like they're not predictors of the Oscars. I mean, even except for the ones that specifically try to be. But even at that, what they really are is just an indication of how people in the industry think of the movies released in a given year or or even what they're watching i think yeah uh this one comes from lilla 2022 one who do you think was number six in supporting actor i'm gonna go with bradley cooper yeah yeah because licorice pizza still got those three nominations Mm. I was predicting Leto, but seeing what they did with Gucci, with the yeah. Gaga not even getting in, I I think he probably was lower yeah. down the total pole than we thought. I would love for it to have been Mike Feist, but, you know, that's okay. Yeah, that was never going to happen. Uh, no. Uh, Ryan Rabideau, with Villeneuve missing director, do you think the Academy would want to make it up to him somewhere, maybe by awarding him adapted screenplay? Dune has a really good chance at winning WGA, and now Denis has a narrative to be given a sympathy vote because of the snub. What do you think? His sympathy vote is part two. I agree. Yeah. Jane Campion's going to win the Oscar for adapted screenplay. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't think it has that great a chance of winning WGA. I'm pretty sure that's going to go to Coda. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, although, you know, I, I got to say, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I do wonder if Drive My Car could upset Power of the Dog and adapted screenplay and Jane still wins director. I don't know. I've seen a lot of people suggesting that. I, again, I see no reason to doubt Power of the Dog. Adaptive screenplay was the one category we were predicting for it, if nothing else, for a long, long time. Yeah. I think this will just continue to happen. I mean, look, I would love nothing more than for them to spread the wealth and give that to someone else since she's pretty obviously winning director, too. But it's not going to (laughs) happen. 
Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of people doing that as well, saying like, oh, no, Madland couldn't get adapted screenplay last year. But that was a very untraditional sort of screenplay. And mm-hmm. Befavre was a tougher adaptation. The Power of a Dog is a much more traditional screenplay. I don't think it's going to have the same setback. Scott Kernan wants to know, what is the more likely scenario? Belfast wins zero Oscars. It wins original screenplay as an award, uh, as a consolation prize, or it wins screenplay and best picture like Spotlight did. I think the most likely is probably just original screenplay, but I don't think think that the spotlight thing is completely out of the question yet i mean if belfast wins pga and sag mm-hmm. that's the path yeah and i i think like we've all said belfast is undoubtedly number two i am predicting it for best screenplay given uh, uh if the precursors tell me otherwise i will switch that but right now i'm feeling pretty good about that and yeah i mean like if there's a blowback to a netflix movie winning or if there's just if it's just an assumed front runner and people want to throw votes to other places belfast could absolutely take picture screenplay nothing else which would be hilarious because that's the one that people were saying was gonna win so many months ago yep yeah i think the thing is is that like with the overperformance of the power of the dog in terms of nominations i feel like Everyone really has to rally around one of the contenders if anything else is going to win. I think the most likely film that that happens to is Belfast, but I'm not entirely sure that that's going to happen at all. Josie DeMarco wrote a thread. It wasn't really so much a question. It was more like (laughs) um, a bit of a rant on the way that the public has turned on the Oscars in recent years and... Uh. There have been talk post-nominations of, oh, why isn't Spider-Man No Way Home not nominated for Best Picture? And like, oh, nobody cares about the Oscars anymore. The general public, this disconnect, et cetera, et cetera. Does anyone just have any general thoughts uh, post-nominations on the current state of the Oscars and its ties to the general public? They've been saying this for years. This is nothing new. Bored. (laughs) Yeah, such a tiring (laughs) discourse. I, uh, I just don't care about it like yes there are big budget movies that are popular that don't get oscar nominations and like best picture like yeah it happens but this is just a group of people who are deciding on what they think is the best of the year and they shine a light on some movies that would need that spotlight that you know spider-man doesn't it's not gonna get any kind of boost from those oscar nominations and the thing that bothers me the most about it is the people who argue that like oh why isn't spider-man in here if even Spider-Man did get nominated, those people would not be watching the Oscars. They yep. wouldn't care. So what are you making this decision for? It's like, I, I just hate this conversation so much because it really doesn't do anything new, as Cody said. It's an argument we've been having forever, and it's chasing an audience that isn't there. And I, I just get so tired of it. It is an argument that is made in particularly bad faith, given that the People's Choice Awards exist. <laughs> oh, and I looked up their winners recently. They were hilarious. <laughs> and also, they have never had the viewing numbers of the oscars yeah and like exactly what josh just said like even if they did do this they're not going to get the viewership so why and also like the fact that you know they want to scream it doesn't matter because you're not it obviously matters or you wouldn't be screaming about it every year yeah (laughs) not to mention too uh i've been hearing that drive my car showings this weekend were completely sold out and that's the power of what an Oscar nomination could do for a movie like that. Spider-Man No Way Home does not need that shit. <laughs> it doesn't. 
and also doesn't deserve it. Let's, let's yeah, there's that too. Yeah, it's the nostalgia play. Like it's good. It's fun. Like, are we really going to like? Hear me out. If Jurassic World Dominion makes two billion dollars next year and everybody loves it, are we going to start this conversation all over again? Are we really? I just yes, don't know we will. Why? I just don't know why. Sorry, MCU fans. I'm and I like some MCU movies, but they have to like they feel the need to have everything. It has to be critical support or else you're paid off by DC. <laughs> it has to be box office and it has to be awards or else the awards are irrelevant. Like you have two of the three already. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's oh God. I hate it so much. And, and then I also will constantly think about how, you know, before last year, which was the lowest rated Oscar telecast, the one before it was the one that had that title before. So it's the second lowest. And that is the ceremony in which Joker led with 11 nominations and one best actor. And they still didn't get people to watch the show. Yep. Alyssa Liu, zero. Um, if the country didn't get to choose the film to be nominated for best foreign language or I'm sorry, best international feature in this case, do you think the lineups uh, would be different than what we received now? What do you think were uh, some of the best non-English language films uh, this year? I mean, if it wasn't the country like selecting, like who would who would select it then? I think it'd be like the Golden Globes. It'd be like you know just whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So yeah, what, the Academy would determine it, but not the country itself. Yeah, because I mean, here's the problem with something like that too. It's like if you're gonna just like leave it completely open, I mean, that's a lot of movies to. to so many movies would get lost in the shuffle. I mean, they already are extremely uh, European, you know, centric in the nominations uh very very rarely yeah. do you see anything getting dominated outside of that part of the world well I mean, yeah, exactly it would, be, it would be even worse for that because what what would happen generally is you'd get like a couple french movies nominated every year because french movies tend to come here yeah and like there are a lot of countries that don't get regular distribution here but i mean i think this year the obvious difference would be parallel mothers would be part of the lineup all hail king shark I love reading that name every week. <laughs> Jane Campion seems to be a, the assumed frontrunner for both director and adapted screenplay. When was the last time someone was the frontrunner in director and screenplay for the majority of the season? Do you think that she has these categories locked? Uh, who was like the last person that had like director and screenplay like pretty much locked down? That is a good question. Yeah, I can't recall off the top of my head right now because it just seems like for the most part i mean we're getting a lot of writer directors just winning oscars lately but it does seem like they just win one or the other yeah days. i guess you could argue the coens for no country maybe oh yeah that's a good one yeah that's probably the best i can think of recently yeah yeah i would say so and i i do think that she's locked for both of those by the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i really can't see a world where she misses yeah, yeah. Uh, from Stream2S, what are your must-watch romantic comedies that you uh, must see over Valentine's Day weekend? I always suggest Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh. Uh, yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a comfort movie for me. That's definitely um, one of my favorite movies of all time in my top ten. Wow. I adore that film. I would have to say that. But also, recently, um, I'm a very big fan of The hmm. Big Sick. I've definitely added that to my list after this um, weekend. I guess one I grew up watching that I love is You've Got Mail. And even if it is just because of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Well, wait a minute. What about Sleepless in Seattle? I haven't actually seen that, but I, ah! I know. Oh, no. I know, but I've always, <laughs> I've always grown up with You've Got Mail. And 
I, I actually had to watch about my previous week for my uni coursework so just watching that again made me fall in love with them again and I might add Sleepless in Seattle this week. Oh wait, one more, one more because it's also one of my all-time favorites. I am obsessed with When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> oh, that's my always um, my New Year's Eve watch. Yeah. My pick is, it's right in the title, you can't get more romantic than a more. <laughs> Cody! <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I want to add in Moonstruck to this conversation. Uh, Actually, yes. probably the best romantic comedy of all time. I always like to watch the classics. Probably the one I go to most is like the Spencer Tracy ones. I really love Adam's Rib and Woman of the Year. And also Bringing Up Baby. Yeah, speaking of classics, I was also thinking about it happened one night. Yes. Putting up the walls of Jericho. I love that yep. movie. All right, great. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone has a really lovely Valentine's Day, and I hope everyone uh, enjoys the um, the Super Bowl, if that's your thing. Um, you know, sports? What? <laughs> Not the right Don't play, Matt. <laughs> Don't pretend. <laughs> I will be watching it. I will be watching it. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining us for this episode here today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. I'm at thefilmexperience.net, which is my site, and on Twitter, at Nathaniel R. Thank you very, very much once again. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Amy Smith, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. And Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 281 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is death Ready. of a film star starring heath ledger marilyn monroe chadwick boseman robin williams carrie fisher and bruce lee Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.